Turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be in the middle of that chapter today, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1983, I was eight years old, and I loved this new thing called MTV, music television. It was brand new in the early 80s, and they actually played music videos on television. I'm not sure what they broadcast now. Uh, I think the M stands for moronic. Uh, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, there was a, a song that got a lot of airplay that year, 1983. It was written and performed by John Cougar Mellencamp. And the opening line of that song was, I fight authority, authority always wins. Remember that song? It's kind of running through your head now. I fight authority, authority always wins. I don't think Mellencamp knew the deep theological significance of that lyric. And what I mean by that is there is in the heart of every sinner, meaning every person, rebellion against authority. The first sin in the garden, if you go all the way back, Genesis chapter 3, that was a declaration of war against authority. Creator God had declared all of his creation good. He informed mankind that the earth was filled with good things to eat, and they could eat any and all of it, all except the fruit of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had created man. He's a good God in his benevolence. He had given man all that he needed to thrive and to flourish. But that flourishing was contingent upon one area of submission, wasn't it? Don't eat from the tree that God said not to eat from. But you've read the book and you know the story. Man failed to submit to God's lordship. Adam and Eve, they were tempted to eat. They were told to, to doubt and question God's authority. And that's really all it took for them to fall. They fought authority. They rebelled. And that same rebel heart that Adam and Eve displayed in rejecting God's authority, that same rebel heart still lurks in all of us. There is in man a fundamental disregard for authority. You see it all the time. You see it in an infant who can't yet speak, but who stiffens his body in anger because he's not getting his way, eating what he wants or moving the way he wants. You see it in a five-year-old who refuses to do something that his kindergarten teacher is asking him to do. You see it in a teenager who longs for independence fundamentally because they want out from underneath that parental authority, don't they? You see it in a worker who chafes against his boss, who, who hates to be told, what to do. You see it in the man who takes pleasure in cheating on his taxes. You see it every day in traffic as laws are ignored and thought to be for everyone else besides you. I fight authority. That actually should be the humble confession made by all of us. We're all guilty of this. We fight authority. And authority always wins. The Bible makes this second truth clear as well. Yes, the story starts with a rebellion against authority, with this fight against authority, but it actually marches to the end of history where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You get to the end of the book, and that's what goes down. It's a long narrative, but the primary topic is authority, and when you get to the end, you see authority will win. I don't know if you remember some details about our study of Mark's gospel. We took about a year and a half, worked through the Gospel of Mark, and what we saw in the first half of that book is we saw Mark laying out the authority of Jesus. Jesus is king in those first eight chapters. 
when he first strikes in on the scene, the thing that is said of Jesus is, who is this guy? He teaches as one who has authority. And then following that, teaches, that teaching are miracle after miracle after miracle, displaying his authority over every realm of nature, physical or metaphysical. And so now in our study of 1 Peter, as Peter is pressing deeply, he's pressing deeply the truth of the gospel into the hearts of these exiled believers, one of the first issues that he really wants to press in on now, practical issues now, is authority. Because if you ignore authority, everything else is up for grabs. And so with this, we start into what will be you know, about four weeks or four sermons on submission. The word for submission shows up repeatedly in the next several passages. So really, this is a, a point of emphasis for the Apostle Peter. And so today we'll look at submission as it relates to the state. Next week to the workplace, then after that, submission in the home. And that'll be a word to both husbands and wives. We're going to take a, a week for each. March 24th will be a word to the wives. March or May, excuse me, April 24th will be a, a word to the wives. May 1 will be a word to the husbands. So spouses, coordinate your calendars. Make sure you guys are there for that. All right, so let's read now, though, our study. <clears throat> excuse me, the passage that we're going to be studying together today. As I said, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, verses 13 through 17. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. May God bless the reading of his word. You remember Palm Sunday. That's the last time that we were in the book of Peter as we've been trekking through it together since the first, start, since the first of the year, since January. And on Palm Sunday, we focused on three directives. Peter gave three clear postures for Christian living in a hostile world. They were, first, live like an alien. Which means as believers in Jesus, we don't live this life thinking that this life is all there is. We live here in a way that recognizes this is not our home. We have a home, but it's not in this world because we are not of this world. We live like aliens. If you're at home and comfortable and loving everything about your life here, you may need to make sure that you've secured a place there. Live like an alien. That's the first directive. Second, fight like a soldier, which that command was crucial because Peter tells us there's a war that's being fought on the turf of our hearts. And that war wants control of your soul. And as long as there is sin inside of you, that war will be raging on. Your soul is trying to be overtaken by the passions of the flesh. Because of this, you need to fight like a soldier. And then third, behave like an ambassador. Everyone who claims to know Christ is an emissary of Christ. You are positioned wherever you are, in whatever you are doing, in all of your situations and relationships, in all the locations and vocations. You are there as God's representative, which means... Your manner of living, your talking, your walking, your working, your relating, it is to be, all of it is to be an argument for the truth of the gospel. 
When you give your life to Christ, when grace captures you, your life doesn't belong to you anymore. You have been invited into the work of the kingdom of God. You are to behave like a representative. Live like an alien, fight like a soldier, behave like a representative. So out of those three directives from the previous passage, Peter now focuses on submission. And as I just mentioned, we're going to talk about submission a lot in these next few weeks. But today we're going to talk about submission to the state. I'm calling this message a theology of citizenship. A theology of citizenship. And, and we'll look at five ideas as we seek to understand submission as Christian citizens. We'll see the principle, the motivation, the reason, the paradox, and then the application. First, the principle. Peter, Peter begins, verse 13, simple, clear statement. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Very clear. Extremely far-reaching language being used here. Language that unarguably states that we are to submit to those who are in authority over us. And it's funny, as Americans, we read this verse, and I think we have this idea that it only applies to those with a king or an emperor. Therefore, we tend to dismiss this command since we haven't had a king since 1776. You know, absolute monarchies, they are so 17th century. Never really apply to us anymore. That's what we think. But let me rephrase this, because this verse needs to be applicable to you. Let me rephrase this. Submit yourselves. 21st century American believers of Jesus. Submit yourselves to Barack Obama and to the Supreme Court and to the judiciary system and to the Congress and to Governor Mary Fallon and to the Oklahoma State Legislature, and to the State Highway Patrol, and to the local police, and to Bill Shuey, and to the principal at the school that your school attend, or that your children attend, and on and on and on I could go to every human institution. This is an all-inclusive verse. This list can be greatly extended. Pretty soon it would make you gag if you're not gagging already. But the truth is, we all live under multiple layers of authority. It's very likely very likely that we won't always care for some of those people in authority. We won't always care for the laws they pass, for the decisions they make. There will always be leaders we don't trust, laws we don't like, taxes we don't want to pay. What do we do? Peter's answer is clear. We submit. The word submit is a military term. That liter it literally means to get in line. Even if we don't like the rules, we are to get in line. Note how specific he is. We're not only to obey the king, the ultimate emperor, but also the governors, those who are sent by him. And there are no exceptions, which I think that's the part that gives us trouble. Most of us understand that, that lines of authority are necessary for society to function. We get that. But whenever we read a sort of all-inclusive text like this, we almost immediately start saying to ourselves, yeah, but what about? And then we quickly have a dozen, yeah, but what abouts? And we come up with all those, yeah, but what about what that does is it completely guts the meaning of Peter's words here in this passage. So don't do that. Don't, don't run to the yeah, but. We are to be a submissive people, not a revolting, obnoxious, rebellious people. That's not who we are. Now, granted, there will be moments when government or, or whatever authority over us, there will be moments when they impose something on us 
that would cause us to violate God's commands. That has happened in history to the people of God. And you know what? It will happen again. Likely in this country, it's going to happen at some point, maybe in the not-so-distant future. And when that happens, what does submission look like for us? Do we submit to the government at that point? No, 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 we don't. We submit to the Lord. But in submitting to the Lord, we then brace for and we fully accept whatever consequences the earthly authority brings against us. You see that? We don't revolt. We obey God. And we embrace the consequences. So even in our apparent lack of submission, we are in fact submitting. We're walking boldly into the face of whatever confronts us as we seek to live faithful lives. The Bible actually gives us examples of this, most notably Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three would not bow to the statue of the king. And because they would not bow to the worship of the king, what happened? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. They didn't lead a revolt. They didn't stir up the masses or, or, or protest the unjust nature of Nebuchadnezzar's law. They chose not to obey it because it violated God's command. But they also boldly and submissively faced the consequences. It's really important as it relates to what's going on here in 1 Peter. The subject of the Roman, the subjects of the Roman Empire, the people that this letter was written to. They had more reason to despise and, and distrust and revolt against the emperor than just about anybody in history. The emperor was seen as a divine figure. People across the empire, they were ordered to worship him. But to make matters even worse, the emperor at the time of this writing, it would have been Nero. And Nero was diabolical in the way he treated Rome's subjects, particularly his treatment of Christians. And so Peter is giving this charge with Nero in view, and it's still unequivocal. There's still no wiggle room. Submit yourself, he says. No room is made for you to say, yeah, but, but Nero. Yeah, but persecution. No, no, no room. No room is made for you to say, yeah, but Democrats. Or, or yeah, but my civil liberty is this. No. Submit yourself. We must start with the command. We must get it clearly in mind, and only then will we, will we be able to properly deal with exceptions if, in fact, they come along. If we start with the exceptions, if we start with the yabats, we'll end up emptying this command of its meaning. As you know, when functioning properly, governments are to promote good and punish evil. Our text points this out. They're to keep order and serve the general welfare of the people. And that's because government is a gift of God's common grace. It really is. And I call it grace because society needs to be governed because lawlessness, because no government, what does that end in? It ends in anarchy. We don't govern ourselves well. Human beings, being sinners, must be governed. So as long as, as sin still lives inside of me, I need restraint. I need to be protected from me. I need laws around me that guide and direct me and protect me. I need people who enforce those laws. That is a blessing. If you acknowledge humbly that you're a sinner, then you must also acknowledge the blessing of authority. That's the principle. We are to submit, not blindly or naively, but unequivocally to those who are in authority. 
So what then is the motivation for our submissive posture as citizens? Well, also there in verse 13, it says our submission is for the Lord's sake. Which means this, our submission to government isn't just to be peaceable and to get along. That's not it. No, we have a distinctly Christian motive when we submit. And that's because there is a direct connection between the people in authority over us and God, who is ultimate authority. You know, we may tend to look at a teacher who frustrates us or a boss who seems like he doesn't have a clue or a legislator who we think is unethical. And we may think that they stand alone in the universe, that it's by some chance that they have ended up in this position of authority. But that's not the truth. They exist as they are and where they are by God's permission, by God's good pleasure. If God did not will it so, that teacher could not teach and that boss would not be a boss. That governor would not govern. None of them rule apart from God. None of them. The go-to verse for this is Romans chapter 13. It says it very plainly. Paul writing says, Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. So we submit to authority because God has commanded us to do so. And God has commanded us to do so because he's the one who's established the authority. That's why Peter can say we submit for the Lord's sake. That's our real motivation. You see, Peter, like Paul, cannot comprehend any kind of separation between human authority and the authority of God. God is not detached, watching from afar, wondering who's going to end up in charge. He's in charge. He's involved. All authorities beneath him are there by his hand. Peter's model is this. To submit to human authority is to submit to the authority of God, which means... You cannot say, I love God's authority, but I hate human authority. That doesn't work. They're interconnected. So I would ask you, in the places where you live, in the places where you work every day, do you love authority? Do you? Are you glad for an employer that tells you what to do? Are you glad for, for civil laws around you? Do you love speed limits because you recognize they protect you from you? Do you love authority? It's funny. I've never had one of my children come to me and say, Dad, one of the things I love most about you is your exercise of authority. <laughs> if you would just tell me what to do more, that would be so helpful. I need more law. I need more rules in my life because I'm a danger to me. That's never happened, has it? No. But we've had some arguments. You know, and if you're a parent, you're exhausted over the authority arguments. It's an amazing thing how even, even the littlest command is an occasion for debate, right? Where they come back at you, no, Dad, that's not exactly what you said. What you said was, if a child is debating your syntax, they don't love your authority. <laughs> They're looking for some kind of escape, some kind of logic, some kind of way out, some coming out from underneath. That's why we have to hear the all-inclusive nature of this call. You must submit to every human institution. Presidents and bosses and governors and game wardens and city planners and parents and senators and on and on and on. Everywhere God has established authority, your calling as a believer in Jesus is to joyfully, 
willingly, as an act of worship, submit. Is that your heart? Be honest this morning, is it? Maybe you're reformed, which is to say you are quite committed in your belief of the sovereignty of God. Of course you are. You love God's sovereignty. Yet this week, you will chafe a little bit against how that sovereignty is exercised by a local authority who tells you something that you had not planned to do. You will chafe a little bit as you send off those taxes on Friday. So just keep in mind this motivation, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Every act of submission is an act of worship. When you subject yourself, you are saying this. You are saying, God, you have put this authority in place. I'm trusting you. You are good. I'm trusting your sovereignty. This is for you. This is for the Lord's sake. But there's also a reason alongside this motivation. The reason, notice verse 15. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So why does God want us to be submissive? For such is the will of God. People say, oh, I wish I knew the will of God. Well, here it is, it's right here. What does God want from me? What is the will of God? The will of God is that you obey submitting yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. There it is, God's will. But why? Why is it God's will? Every child asks why. By doing right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. The word silence is to gag, muzzle, restrain. It's a really strong word. It means to stop the mouth so that there's nothing to say. So the will of God is that by nobility, by dignity, and well-doing, and righteous conduct, and good citizenship, you gag the critics. And this is really important today. Why do I say this? Because you realize... Right now, that much of what Christians are doing in our culture is simply making things worse. The critics out there are finding more and more and more things to criticize believers for. And a lot of it is traced back to this arrogant attitude that refuses to submit. But we are to silence the ignorance by doing the will of God. So even this issue of submission, even the way you respond to the authorities in your life, you can consider this gospel work. (coughs) Because remember, you are positioned as one of God's ambassadors. You are positioned as one of God's representatives. You are living as God's emissary before a watching world. You're living before the ignorance of foolish people. What is Peter talking about with that phrase? He's talking about Psalm 14.1. Psalm 41 says, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. So not just by theological argumentation or sound apologetics do you convince the atheist of the gospel. You actually do it by by the way that you live your life. You silence that person's folly because in your submission, you are tangibly demonstrating the protection and the blessing and the joy of living underneath authority. Your submission is a demonstration. You, unlike the world around you, can submit to all authorities without anxiety, without fear, because you trust in the ultimate sovereign authority. You have faith, and that changes everything about you. Remember what happened 
to the foolish, ignorant one in Daniel chapter 3. Talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. What happened to him? He changed his tune when the three men were not consumed by the fiery furnace, when they just boldly submitted to the consequences for their actions. The king declared to the entire empire, he said, any people, any nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there's no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Man, talk about a swing. The reason we submit is it can convince a watching world that what we profess is genuine and true. That we are not fearful, we are not anxious, we know who has ultimate authority, and we know that he loves us and will take care of us. And so we can live a life of submission. Let's move to the next point. The paradox. Verse 16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Most people think that, they're, that, that, that freedom and submission, that those are opposites. We assume that if we choose submission, that means we give up freedom. And if we choose freedom, we won't have to submit. But just a moment's thought, I think, shows the fallacy of that position. Peter would argue that this life of submission that he's calling believers toward, it is, in fact, a call to freedom. What's he saying? He's saying, you've been given freedom in Christ, freedom from the weight of the law, freedom from the bondage to sin, freedom from slavery to the world. And none of that freedom is freedom from authority, because freedom from authority would never really be freedom. Adam and Eve, when they stepped outside of God's authority, did they achieve freedom? No, they didn't. Immediately there was acrimony. Immediately they were driven out of the garden. They had, a, they had an immediate loss of the freedom they enjoyed. In the first generation following their rebellion, you have sibling homicide. A few chapters down the road, you have, you have God looking at the chaos and the brokenness in the world, and he just says, all right, this enough already. And he sends this global flood to just wipe the world clean. None of that looks like freedom. Hear this. Human autonomy, it never results in freedom. It's a delusion. And so Peter says, real freedom is found in being a servant of of God, when you say, not my will, but yours be done, you are now living exactly as you, as you were meant to live in true freedom. That's why he connects the will of God to submission. The reformer Martin Luther, he puts it this way. He says, a Christian is a Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant, subject to everyone. We are both free and bound at the same time. And so what does that mean in practical terms? Well, we pay taxes... Because in the ultimate scheme of things, money doesn't matter. God matters. We vote, but we don't lose our spiritual equilibrium if our candidate doesn't win. Politics is not the final measure of life. No one serves forever. In the ultimate scheme of things, politics doesn't matter. God matters. We obey the speed limit, not because it's the most important thing in the world, but because compared to big issues, it doesn't matter. God matters. We obey those over us, because we, not, not because we like them, but because they are only here temporarily they really don't matter that much anyway. Only God matters. We follow dumb orders cheerfully because they don't matter. God matters. We submit to decisions we disagree with because their opinion and ours don't matter. God matters. The application here, Peter ends as Peter often does. Remember, this is not an academic, intellectual man. This is a fisherman and he writes that way. And so he ends with very clear directions. 
What does it mean to really live this way? What does it mean to really work out this submission? He says in summary, verse 17, honor everyone. You are to treat everyone with respect, rich, poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat, Christian, non-Christian, prisoner, free man, whatever. Everyone, everyone is made in the image of God and everyone deserves to be shown honor. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Treat your brothers and sisters in Christ with a particular kind of love, with a particular brand or quality of love. In the church, you need to step beyond honor and you need to step into unconditional loving. Or not just respect is shown, but, but serving one another in tangible ways is constantly on display. And he says, fear God. Live every day in awe of his presence and his authority. He is ultimate. You and nothing about you is ultimate. Fear God. And then honor the king. Be thankful for government. Gladly submit to its demands, for without it, sin would run rampant. If you're anything like me, you read these verses and you're convicted. You know that you haven't really arrived here with what Peter is describing. You know you don't always love authority. There are places where you want your own way. There are occasions where you don't love God's law and you don't love the way God's authority is exercised within human authority. And so you need to say, as I need to say as well, Father, I need your help. There is still inside of me the heart of a rebel. And in saying that, you need to locate clearly where your hope is actually found. Your hope is found in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the God-man who, what did he do? He submitted himself to his father's authority. And in submitting himself to his father's authority, he submitted himself, Jesus Christ, the eternal begotten son of God, he, he submitted himself to human authority. He even submitted himself to human injustice. He was willing to be wrongly condemned, willing to be tortured, willing to have the vilest of human authority exercised against him. So that in his submission, our rebel hearts could be transformed. He did that so there will be a day for all of us when we stand in that company, no longer wanting our own way, confessing him, Jesus, as authoritative Lord. And we will make that confession for millions and millions and millions and millions of years. That submission of heart should start today. So run to your Savior today. Run to your substitute and say, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need my heart to be transformed. I'm a, I'm a bad Lord. I'm underqualified for the role as God. I need you to be in charge, not me. I recognize your authoritative goodness over all things. And I just submit to you. Lord, there are times when I might get it right, but there are times when I get it so, so wrong. Won't you once, once again, won't you deliver me by your grace? If you've never prayed that kind of prayer, if you've never just submitted your life to the ultimate authority, the authority of God, I encourage you to do that for the first time this morning. Life is only found when you abandon your own lordship and submit your life to his lordship. When you surrender your sin to his overwhelming grace. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. Don't fight God's authority. It wins. Right? Let's pray again. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this timely message that 
we hear and, and read from First Peter, um, we submit the governing authorities that are over us, we submit them to you. And we submit our rebellious hearts to you and, and ask that, that we can come into alignment with your will. That we can be a submissive people. And if there comes a time when we are forced to, to choose between submitting to government or violating your commands and your will for us, God, we would find ourselves obedient to you. And at the same time, you would give us the grace to just brace for the consequences. And God, that that would silence those who are in their ignorance. Lord, the church is going to need grace for these things moving forward. We look to you, and we, I, I pray that verses like this, Lord, we would understand them in deeper and deeper ways all the time. Lord, if there's anyone here that's never submitted their life to you and your authority, your lordship, your reign over them, Lord, I pray that they would do that today. They would recognize that their tendency is to run away from you, to rebel against you. But God, your grace desires relationship with them. And you've shown that desire through the person and work of your son, the Lord Jesus. I pray that they would give their heart and their life to Christ today. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for these people who love the gospel, love Christ, and want to live, live faithfully for him. In his name we pray. Amen.